0: Amen, Father, we offer ourselves to you. Say there's no other name under heaven by which men are saved but the name of Jesus Christ. And we exalt you this morning in our hearts and our minds. We bow our knees before you. We say you are high and lifted up. And we need you. We are desperate for you. We confess our need. We don't possess the power to live the way you've called us to live. We can't even worship you appropriately without the Holy Spirit's help. So we submit to you, Holy Spirit, we ask for your help this morning to see the Father rightly, to see Jesus rightly, and for our lives to be conformed to your image in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, God is here. Really think about that for a moment. God is here in this room. I know for me, some Sunday mornings, I can come, I can sing, I can go, and never become aware of God's presence. What an outstanding thought or claim that we make that God is here, he's available to us, he's not out there, and not just here in the room, but in in us by his spirit, I hope you've paused and at least thought about that briefly this morning as we've been singing. If you're a follower of Jesus, the Spirit lives in you. The God of the universe, the God of the cosmos who spun everything into being and sustains it by the word of his power lives in us. And Jesus told us that where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there with them. There's a There's a unique knowledge of his presence, awareness of his presence when we gather together like this. And I I hope that's been your experience. I hope that you have uh, dialed in, become aware of present to God. Now you've probably had that experience where you've been at a party or social gathering and you're talking to somebody and they're constantly distracted, looking at their Apple watch or their phone or looking over your shoulder. Um, They're not present to you. And we do that a lot of times, even in spiritual settings with God. We're, we're, we're there, but we're not there. We're not present to God. It was just in my heart before we dive into the text this morning, just to become present to God together for a moment. Just to still our hearts and our minds. There's so many distractions, so many points of pain this morning. Uh, but if you're a follower of Jesus, and if you're not, welcome, we're glad that you're here. And I know we're weird, and we've sang about a sheep that's going to get married, and, and uh, you're like, where am I? Just hang with us. Um, but we really believe, it's my firm conviction, that God is here, and we want to become aware of him. And so, maybe uncomfortable for some, but we're just going to pause for a moment here in silence. And I want to invite you to become aware of God's presence. By faith, of course, we can't see him. We see evidence of of him all around us. But just by faith, just take a moment of silence, still your heart. Thank God that he's with you and become aware that he's here with us. Just Just take a moment of silence with me. Thank you, God, that you're with us in our pain, in our loneliness, in our grief, in our joy, you are actually present with us, and we honor you, and we ask, would that veil that's already been torn be torn in our hearts and minds this morning? that we would abide in your presence, and you would give us power for Christ to dwell in our hearts through faith this morning. You know, we can not only come and go from Sunday services without becoming aware of God's presence, but that can be my experience many days as well. I can even get up and read the Bible and pray and come to the end of my day and realize I never really uh, dwelt with God. I never really became present to God, and It's my prayer that that would be all of our experience here this morning as you've been with us this summer. For those of you who have, we've been going through Ephesians 1 through 3 where Paul has been instructing the church at Ephesus on our inheritance in Christ and starting out in chapter 1, this beautiful passage that we have inherited holiness and redemption and adoption as sons and daughters of God. All the way through chapter three, Zach did a phenomenal job last week talking about the church as God's inheritance, the church as our inheritance, the church as God's plan, cosmic plan to reveal his glory, uh, not just to the world, but even to invisible powers. And we're swept up into this grand design and scheme of God. But Paul comes at the end of chapter three and he realizes this is impossible for us to do on our own to walk in our identity, to walk in our inheritance, to live as the body of Christ in unity. And so he comes at the end of chapter 3, and he is swept up in this prayer, praying for the church. And then on the heels of that, there's a brief doxology where he just kind of erupts in worship of who God is. And so I know we're kind of in a time of teaching right now, a time of instruction, but the the text we're looking at today is actually a prayer, and so we wanna be swept up into that same prayer and that same experience of worship. And so if you would, uh, my wife doesn't know this, but she's actually gonna come up on stage and read the text this morning, because life is better with her on stage with me. (laughs) Um, If you would stand with us for the reading of the text. I'm sleeping on the couch tonight. Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. She's going to read. They are not gonna, you don't have to read along with her. She's just going to read the text uh, for us this morning. Lovely. Thanks, babe. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, Sorry. <laughs> um, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, amen. Amen. Great job. You can be seated. I knew if I asked her, she'd say no. So why not just surprise her? Life is better with her on stage. Every time she speaks, people are like, she needs to be on stage more. So they'd rather look at you than me. So here we go. Paul says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father like, I need to recover from that more than you do. I was more nervous asking you than you reading the text. (laughs) I'm just going to break this passage down, this prayer down, verse by verse. Paul says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. What reason is he talking about? Anytime in in the text as you're reading scripture, if you see a therefore or for this reason, it's linking the previous thought with the uh, thought that follows. And again, going back to Zach's message last week, for those of you who were here, he talked about, uh, again, this cosmic design for the church, that uh, we are to be this diverse people living together in unity, Jew and Greek, and all of the various nationalities and ethnic groups and generations and socioeconomic classes living together in unity. And Paul has just unpacked this lofty, cosmic uh, plan of God. And then he pivots here and he says, for this reason... I need to pray for you. I need to pray for the church because it is impossible for us to live out this design of God in the body of Christ apart from the spirit of God. And so Paul says, for this reason, I bow my knees. And that's a powerful uh, statement coming from Paul, a very accomplished individual. And he's saying, I bow my knees. My knees. I am appealing to a higher authority. I am submitting myself to God. He's saying here, I'm the one instructing you, church at Ephesus, but I don't have the ability to actually activate this in you. So I'm now going to turn and appeal to a transcendent God, to a God who is outside the scope of our imagination. That word transcendent is a theological word that that means that God is not like us. He is outside of our experience. Isaiah chapter 40 is a great passage to meditate on if you need some fuel for your devotional life, your time with God. And in it, Isaiah says that God measures the universe with the span of his hand. The span was from the tip of the pinky to the tip of the thumb. That God measures the universe in the span of his hand. You know how big the universe is? For those of you who uh, follow space news, we have the James Webb Space Telescope in uh, orbit now. And it's bringing back these astonishing images. Uh, In fact, space is so big that we don't measure it using miles. We had to come up with a different uh, yardstick. Who knows what that yardstick is? The light year, right? So we measure the universe in, in the distance that light travels in one year. And light is pretty fast, 186,000 miles per second. Uh, it zips around earth about seven times every second, any beam of light. So you measure how far light travels in one year. That's about 5.88 trillion miles. And that's our yardstick to measure the span between stars, the span between galaxies and the observable universe, which just means the part of the universe that we can see with our limited technology, is 90.3 billion years in dia- uh, light years in diameter. So I know big numbers, 90.3 billion times 5.88 trillion, that's about how many miles across the universe is. And Isaiah says, yeah, you know that? That fits right about here In, in, in relative to God and who he is. And of course, that's rhetorical flourish. But he's just saying God is bigger than, more powerful than we can possibly conceive of. In that same chapter, in chapter 40 of Isaiah, it says that he weighs the, the sand, the dust of the earth in a scale. He measures it in a balance. Astronomers also say that there are more stars in the observable universe than there are grains of sand on planet earth. Next time you're at the beach, just pick up a handful of sand and contemplate the fact that in Isaiah 40, it says that God calls out every star by name. And this is who, God, uh, who Paul is appealing to. He's saying, you need power, so I'm going to bow my knee to the authority that has the ability to give you that power. But not only that, he says, I bow my knees before the Father he could say, I bow my knees before the Lord, before God, but he addresses God as Father. That he is not just transcendent outside of the scope of our imagination, but he is imminent. It's the other side of that coin. He is accessible. He is relatable. He is approachable. He reveals himself as Father. And think about the tenderness, the, the proximity that a father has to his child, the provision the affirmation, the affection of a father, the authority and the forgiveness of a father. And this is who Paul is appealing to. I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, verse 15. From whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. And that's good news because if the prayer is for unity in the body, is for power to uh, abide in Christ together, He's saying here that it's this father that we all derive our existence from. Every family in heaven and on earth is named through the father. Meaning, I'm not first a Murray. it's my last name. Uh, I'm not first a Texan or an American. Uh, sorry uh, to the Texans who want to secede from the nation. We are not first Texans. Uh, I'm not first a Jew. Uh, we did Ancestry DNA. I was adopted. I found out I'm a third Jewish uh, praise God, a third of me is uh, is elected uh, by God. <laughs> I'm not sure which third, except for debate. But the point is, if you go back far enough, in any of our lineages, we come to the same point of origin. We're all part of the same family. And therefore, we have the judicial authority to live together in unity. So this is who Paul is appealing to, the father from whom we all derive our name. It doesn't matter how rich or famous or powerful you or I become. Our names will pass away. His name is the only name that will endure. And so we humbly bow our knee before him so that we have the power to come together in unity. He goes on, verse 16, that according to the riches, so he's beginning to, pray, to praise, laying his petition before God. This is what he's praying for. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, this is the operative part of this prayer. If anything sticks with you this morning, it would be my prayer that this would be it. Paul is praying that according to the riches of God's glory. Now, how inexhaustible are the riches of God's glory? The one who measures the universe right here. Paul is saying, according to those riches, I pray that you would be strengthened with power by his spirit in your inner man, that Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, our family just went on a uh, road trip, a 4,000 mile road trip. Uh, which is a, a little bit of time in the car. And we have four boys, 13, 11, 10, and 8. And there were um, fantastic memories. We had a great time. In fact, the boys did really well being in the car for that long. But there were uh, moments of sin, of uh, yelling, of quarreling, of bickering. And that was just me and Steph. Uh, no. And uh, and so we had opportunities together as a family to have some come-to-Jesus moments. And we uh, had a word that became our theme word for the trip. Aiden, what was that word? Selflessness, Selflessness, right? So uh, every morning, we uh, just about every morning, we reviewed selflessness uh, and read scripture about selflessness and talked about what it means to consider others' needs more important than our own. But at the end of the day, just talking uh, at one another was not going to get the job done, and we had to pray, and we had to ask for, for power to be selfless. And that's the thrust of this prayer here. Paul is saying, I pray that you would have the power in your inner man by the Spirit so that Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, why would he pray that Jesus would dwell in our hearts? Well, there's a lot of of things that dwell in our hearts envy pride lust bitterness you know when somebody's in the back seat tapping over and over and over for miles on end or passing gas in the car and not giving a heads up or rolling the window down There's a lot that can dwell in your heart in those moments that is not Christ. So Paul is praying, I'm just getting real, okay? Is that, I don't know if that's been your experience. Uh, My poor wife uh, has five uh, men, males in the family, and that's been her experience. And so Paul is praying that Jesus would dwell in our hearts through faith. There is a war of power going on on the throne of our hearts Most of the time, it's self that's seated on that throne. That's why the prayer is for strength, for power, because there is a real battle to dethrone self and to enthrone Christ, that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith. And so he prays for Jesus to dwell in our hearts. And and here's a little bit of what you get if Jesus dwells in your heart. I'm not just talking about, again, in a, in a salvific way that, yes, you've given your life to Jesus. I'm talking about a sanctification day by day, growing into the image of Jesus, allowing God to dwell in our hearts in a very real sense, walking in awareness of his presence. This is what you get. This is who Jesus is. Uh, just a sampling. From the Beatitudes, his way is one of poverty of spirit, knowing our need, that is. His way is one of grief over sin and brokenness, of meekness, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, mercy, purity of heart, peacemaking, steadfastness and persecution and suffering. Uh, Paul would describe in Galatians 5 that the fruit of Jesus' spirit, and just when you hear these nine attributes, just imagine if there was an increase of these in your household, uh, in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Or Paul would say to the church in Philippi, Philippians 2, 3 through 8, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is why Paul prays that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith, that this would be the experience of our lives. This would be the, this would be the, the character of our relationships, the, the culture of our homes and workplaces and places of study. May it be so, in Jesus' name. Well, this is the point in our service where you get to participate. Uh, I want you to turn to somebody for 60 seconds. And what is the top takeaway so far? 60 seconds, short takeaway. Each of you get to share. Ready, go. Turn to somebody, top takeaway from the message so far. 15 more seconds. All right, so Paul has prayed that we would be strengthened with power by his Spirit in our inner man's, that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith. And now he goes on to illustrate what that experience would be like, in the middle of verse 17, we pick it back up. He says, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend, there's that language again, with all the saints, what is the breadth, and length, and height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul's illustrating. If Jesus dwells in your heart, your primary experience will be one of love. That that is the fundamental nature of God from which all the other attributes flow. That your experience will not be of his wrath, though God is wrathful towards sin. Your fundamental experience will not just be of his judgment or sovereignty, though he is both judge and sovereign Lord over all creation. He says, if Jesus dwells in your heart, your primary experience will be that of love. That you being rooted and grounded, those are images of a tree that sinks its roots down into a soil, that soil characterized by the love of God, or grounded of of a building, an edifice that is founded on a firm foundation of love, that you would have strength to comprehend. And then he gives these dimensions, the breadth, that God's love is wide enough to encompass all of us. That you have not disqualified yourself from the love of God. And I think there are even probably a handful in here this morning that question, Have I disqualified myself or have I been disqualified from the love of God? There's no way God could forgive me for what I've done or what has been done to me. And the breadth of God's love is such that everyone is invited, everyone is included in the love of God. The length of That God's love is enduring to the very end. It's not fickle like human love. It is consistent and eternal. The height of God's love. That it is empowering. That he saves us. He has seated us with him in heavenly places. And the depth of the love of Christ that reaches into our darkness. Reaches into our disappointment, our discouragement. And redeems even the most broken places of our lives. And these dimensions, the same dimensions of the cross, the breadth, the height, the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth is the love that Paul is praying that you will come to know if you have a real experience of Christ dwelling in your heart. And then he prays, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. It's kind of a strange wording in English. How could you know something that surpasses knowledge? It's a little language trick. In the original language, in this New Testament text, it was Greek. And it's actually two different words that in English we translate into the same root word of knowing or knowledge. The first knowing there, when Paul says, I pray that you would know the love of Christ, that's the word gnosko. And it's an experiential knowing, it's an intimate knowing, it's a substantive uh, uh, experiential knowledge of something. Actually, it's even used as a euphemism for sexual intimacy. Uh, in, the, in that world, that Adam knew his wife and they conceived a son. It's a deep, intimate knowing. He says, I pray that you would know the love of Christ in that way, in a way that surpasses knowledge. And there he uses the word gnosis, which just means general intelligence, general head knowledge. He's saying it's one thing to know about God you know, these Jewish uh, people would have been instructed in the synagogue. For those who were raised Jewish, uh, the others among them, the the Greeks, would have ra- been raised in a uh, a, di- a number of different beliefs about the gods. He says, one thing for me to just instruct you about God it's another thing to know Him, gnosko, to have experiential, revelatory knowledge of God. He's saying, I pray that you would know that love. Deep in your knower, heard Jimmy say before. It's like when uh, Steph and I first met uh, over 20 years ago now, right? Uh, she had just started coming around our house, caught my attention, and so I started asking about her, you know, and instead uh, sort of just taking the direct step and talking to her, but I was asking around, uh, tell me about this girl. And, you know, people had great things to say about her. She's gracious and kind and loving and so on and so forth. And I gained a general knowledge, gnosis, of Stephanie Lanham. But over the years of hundreds, if not thousands of hours of conversation and uh, difficult times and beautiful times, I have come to know her. It's one thing to know that she's gracious. It's another thing to be sitting at the kitchen table confessing sin and tears, weeping, and for her to wrap her arms around me and weep with me and forgive me. I can tell you about that, but until you're sitting in that seat, experiencing grace for yourself, experiencing forgiveness, it becomes gnosko. It shifts from just head knowledge to heart knowledge. I think there's some people in the room that you, you know about God. You've grown up in church, or maybe you've been coming around or listening to podcasts, reading the Bible, but maybe that experience of the love of God has been just out of reach. And the invitation of the scripture is taste and see that the Lord is good. Not just know about him, but enter into a real dynamic relationship where you can be present to God and him present to you. And you experience the love of Christ in that way. If you put this all together, and and here in just a moment, and, and I know we've had some kind of participation moments this morning, especially my wife. Um, But we're going to be able to participate in this text here in just a moment. So again, if you just came to kind of passively sit back and watch, this could be a challenge uh, in a moment. But we are going to get in small groups and actually pray this prayer, verses 14 through 19. Pray for, this was a prayer for the church, so we're going to pray for one another as families. We're going to pray for our communities, our life groups. We're going to pray for this church any other believers by name, and so you'll have an uh, an opportunity to do that in just a moment. I just want to put it together briefly here. When you look through verses 14 through 19, Paul prays for this reason. Again, the reason of uh, power in the church to be and do all that God has called us to be. I bow my knees. I submit myself to a higher authority. Before the Father, one who is not just transcendent, but imminent with me, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that we all again derive our judicial authority for unity from God himself, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit and your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you would uh, be strengthened by the spirit for Jesus to occupy that seat, that throne in your heart, that your experience and the experience of those around you would be one of love rooted and grounded in love with strength to comprehend with all the saints, that this would be a corporate revelation. What is the breadth and length and height and depth to know, to really know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And we didn't talk about this last clause, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Does anyone want that to be their reality this morning? I need to be filled with the fullness of God which is joy and hope and peace and so on. But we need the power of God to enter into this reality. So we're just going to humble ourselves. And actually, if you call this church home, I would even ask that you get on your knees to bow our knees before the Father. Now, if you're not physically able, it's totally fine. Again, if you're a first-time guest and you get a pass, you can just sit and observe. Uh, But if this is your home church, here in just a moment, we're just gonna take two or three minutes to, with twos and threes and fours, get on our knees or sit humbly before God and pray this prayer on behalf of one another, our life groups, and the body of Christ. Is that clear enough instruction? All right, so we're engaging with the text this morning. Take just two or three minutes. The text will be scrolling on the screens, but um, I would invite you to open up your own Bible if you have one, uh, Ephesians 3:14 through 19, or open up an app on your phone, and somebody take initiative right around you. Be a leader and just jump out there as uncomfortable as this might be, and we're gonna take two or three minutes to be a praying church this morning. So go for it, and I'll call us back together here in a few minutes. And Father, we bow our knees before you. You are the transcendent God who has also made himself available to us. And we ask for power by your spirit, for Christ to dwell in our hearts through faith. I pray that the experience of our families today would be one of love, of our roommates and friends and co-workers this week would be one of the love of God overflowing from our lives because we have dethroned self and enthroned Christ by your spirit, that the the culture of Jesus, the character of Jesus would be the fruit of our lives and that our experience be one of abiding love present to you throughout the day, that you would be honored and glorified in and through our lives. In Jesus' name, and everybody said... Amen. Amen. Thank you for engaging in that time of prayer. You know, some of us need to wake up a little bit to the presence of God. We know our stuff, but God is real. He's bigger than, more loving than, more patient than, outside of anything that we can conceive of. So I just want to end with a couple of very practical thoughts, two actually very practical thoughts, uh, challenges. The first, and this is uh, this doesn't apply to everybody, but um, we have, uh, like Sarah Grace said at the beginning, we have two discipleship schools here at Antioch. And, and I really think God's tugging on some hearts this morning to carve out time to really deepen your own walk with God. In a, in a very real way, like we've been talking about this morning. Um, the day school, uh, we have said the applications are closed, but Jimmy grabbed me before I came up here and said, if anybody wants to jump in, jump into the day school, uh, it starts next week, but talk to us today, and, uh, and you can do that. It's a full-time, uh, 40-hour-a-week uh, discipleship school that lasts for five months. Uh, but the night school is more for working professionals. Uh, meets every Monday night, and then every third Thursday, kind of follows the academic calendar, starts mid-August and goes through May. And uh, we've asked that everybody who is part of Antioch, and this is your home church, to carve out um, a nine-month section of time for the night school or five months for the day school and, and be a part of this experience to deepen your walk with the Lord. Uh, and this year is a year of a t- tuition reduction for the night school, so this is your year. If you've been holding out, Uh, $1,800, and uh, Matthew, the uh, uh, night school director, and his assistant, Hannah, uh, will be at the Connect Center after, and feel free to go talk to them. Uh, Application deadline is passed, but you have a few days here of a grace window to jump into that experience. That's a very specific, practical um, challenge to consider if you've never gone through one of the schools, Uh, and there's a QR code where you can find out more about those up there. The second practical challenge though, this applies to everybody, and uh, something I've been trying to do for about nine months now, and I have three alarms set on my phone. Uh, If you don't have a devotional life, start there. If if, um, you don't carve out time when you first get up in the day, uh, man, that'd be a great place to start. Just carve out 10 minutes of every morning this week and get before God, become present to God. Uh, But if you've got kind of that rhythm going, setting alarms on my phone has helped me kind of break out of what I'm doing. I've got an alarm set at 10, one at 2, and one at 6. 10 a.m., 2 p.m., 6 p.m. I got them set silently. So if I'm in a meeting or something, it's not distracting. Uh, but the alarm goes off, and it's just a, a reminder to me that God is with me. And it causes me to pause. It's like a mini Sabbath for about two minutes and just pause what I'm doing and become aware of God's presence again. And to pray something like this, God, thank you for your presence. Help me, help me to walk with you. Help me to abide with you. Or if I'm facing something practical, I'm about to go into a meeting. I can engage God in that thing that I'm doing. And so I just would challenge you, some practical step like that. Set an alarm, put a sticky note on your steering, well, maybe not on your steering. Yeah, sure, on your steering wheel. Why not? Places on your mirror. Just reminders that God is with you to pray to him for that power, that strength for Christ to dwell in your heart in that moment, to become a people who abide in the love of Jesus. The lunch discussion question, um, how will you practically respond to this message this morning as you go out to donuts, coffee, lunch after this, as you drive home with uh, friends and loved ones? would love for you to to take one practical step this week. Maybe it is to jump into the schools. Maybe it is to set an alarm on your phone. But what's one practical step? Maybe it's to pray this passage for your life group this week. Or take uh, every morning this week and wake up. And just before going to your phone and doing Wordle, just pause. And become aware. That's me, by the way. But become aware of God's presence first as the first fruits of your day. Would you guys stand with me? that this message this morning was Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. We've only gone through verse 19. The last two verses are something of a doxology, a just short um, prayer of praise, of worship to God. And I just see Paul as he's writing this letter, he's been talking about our inheritance, been talking about God's cosmic plan for the church. And then he just overflows with worship here in verses 20 and 21. And so I want to end that way. And I'm going to hand it off to Jimmy for ministry time. But I just want to end with this worshipful prayer here at the end in verses 20 and 21. I invite you to pray with me. Now to him. To you, God. Now to you. We look to you you are worthy of our worship you are worthy of our praise not us not our spouses not some other person or hope or ambition now to you we turn our hearts and our minds and our attention and our affection to you because you are able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think forgive us for our small-mindedness Forgive us for setting our sights so low, for forgetting, for misunderstanding. You are able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or can even imagine. That's your nature. According to the power at work within us, Holy Spirit, would you give us power this week to be the people you've called us to be. Lives are at stake Eternities are at stake. The glory of God imaged in the earth is at stake. So would you fill us with the Holy Spirit and power to work within us that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith. To him, to you, be glory in the church. Would you get glory in and through your people? And in Christ Jesus, would the person Jesus be magnified in this city, in this nation, in the nations of the earth? throughout all generations, forever and ever. And everybody said...